Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer Dr Sam Willis. And he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. Now, Histories of the Unexpected is the show where we demonstrate that everything, even the most unexpected of subjects, has a history and that those subjects link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example? Who knew that the history of the key, the humble key put in a lock and you turn is in fact all about housewives, safety, control, power, authority, weapons, blankets, ornamentation, and of course, most importantly, it's all about Vikings. Oh, I can't wait to do keys. I'm going to be talking about privacy. Keys, keys are excellent. Keys and privacy. But today we're going to be talking about something that's very dear to your heart, James. Secrecy. I have been desperate to do this for the summer. Secrets and secrecy. I was a very busy bee over the summer and rewarded myself with... This is a... It's hidden under a blanket. Mm-hmm. This is, in fact, a secret for Sam. It's on an armchair. Ooh. Look at this. I can see that, yes. It's a... It is a... I'm going to come over there and describe it. Yes, do. So. Right, that is a box with some kind of brass edges on the corner, and it's got a brass nameplate thing in the centre with no name inscribed in it. With a key. With a key... It is a lockable writing desk, and if you open it up... Ah, it is a Victorian lap desk, but... It's very, very beautiful, this. So it's got kind of dark red leather, and it's got little spaces for um, ink here. And here, underneath here, is a little secret compartment Ah. that you could keep things in. But what is even more remarkable is you pull this out... And out comes, somewhere here, is a special secret drawer. There is a secret drawer. Well, this is wonderful. So it's, a, it's a box that's full of secret compartments. But How exciting. Also, look at this. Would you know that there is, hidden in here, mm-hmm. a secret compartment? No! Look oh. at that. You, so you ping a little uh, bit of wood. Yeah, that's really cool. And then really it cool. pings out the back. And in it are two secret drawers. I haven't actually... Put it in. Do you know after I after I bought it, I thought I was so excited about it. I put it on a shelf and I've done nothing with it, except for now. So I, I love that. I love the different levels of secrecy. So you open it up, and there are th- there are th- there are kind of panels that look like there might be something beneath them. Yes. Um, and then you you do find there is a space beneath them, and then there is the little peg you pull out, and it reveals a beautifully made door on the side. But if you look closely, you could probably see that it was a door. Yes. But then there is an, a really secret thing. So you kind Inside. of, I think you're yes. lulled into a full sense of security. It's like a, it's like a magician's trick, that. So, so even if even if it was stolen, yeah. you'd still be able to keep certain secrets. So for me... Yeah, it's like, it's, like the, it's like the person who owns it wants you to think that you found the secret drawer when you haven't. When you haven't, And then yes. you find the real secret yes. one. You exactly. only get that if you press the little thing and out it pops. So for me... The history of secrecy is, in fact, all about furniture. Hmm. It's about secret compartments, not only in this desk, but it takes us to World War Two. Think of your, think of Anne Frank. Yes, poor Anne Frank, and think of the annex that she lived in with her with her parents in Amsterdam. Those of you who've been to that amazing museum, those of you who haven't, go along and see it. But you get to it through a hidden bookcase. Ah, and I've been doing quite a bit of research. Recently, it's, an, for, it's a hidden entrance it's in a, a bookcase. It's a hidden entrance in a bookcase. Or behind a bookcase. It's a hidden en- where you get you get into the annex through through a bookcase that conceals the hidden entrance. I see. I see. So you step through it, and I've been doing quite a lot of research for our book on World War Two. One of the chapters of which is on 
furniture. And it's amazing how many people hid in furniture. There's a couple who hid in a church organ huh. for almost enti- the entirety of the war. That's very Narnia, isn't it? It's very Narnia, a wardrobe. Yeah, I, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, w- let's just think about the, the other ways we can think about secrets as well. I suppose there's the, there's the, the motivation to keep things secret. And the kinds of things you keep secret. Different, ah. different people that would keep secrets. So if you think about state secrets, yeah. the governments have a responsibility to keep, to keep certain secrets. They keep the truth from the population for various reasons. That itself has a history over time. Yeah, You think about the Official State Secrets Act today, but if you go back even earlier, governments have always wanted to control the kind of information that people living in their countries were a- able to have access to. Yeah, yeah. Secrets um, within the family. Think about black sheep within the family. Mm. Certain people that you want to, you want to keep hidden, certain secrets... We talked about infanticide in our tour so pe- recently. People you want to keep hidden, so, so sort of relations that you may not know about. Relation, or relations that you are embarrassed about yeah. and that you want to keep secret. So you, it may be that you have a murderer or a felon in the family. It may be that uh, there is an unwanted pregnancy that you wanted to keep yeah. secret. It may be, you know, and, and think about all those things that you want to, to preserve. It's the, the history of secrecy is very closely related to silence, which is something else that we want to do. Yeah. Why do you keep... You think about the Catholic Church and the silence around all the sort of uncomfortable issues about, you know, paedophilia recently. It's interesting that the, it's, it's linked to the history of shame yes. as well, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Sort of unwanted pregnancies or unwanted babies or unwanted relations. Yes. Um, it's a certain amount of embarrassment there. The history of embarrassment and shame, that would be amazing. I, there's a book on that. It particularly focuses on the Victorian period History of blushing. Mm. What's that got to do with secrets? Uh, it's about being embarrassed. Ah, I see. And bl- shame and blushing. Mm. So the, the facial expression. Yeah, I've, d- I've done a bit of stuff on blushing. You've done any blushing yeah, recently? But, uh, not blushing myself. Blush? I've written on blushing. A bit of Vikings and blushing. Okay. I turned you into a cultural historian, Sam. <laughs> you have. <laughs> Completely threw me there. <laughs> what has blushing got to do with secrets? I don't understand this at all. Let me start quickly, yeah? Yes, do. I'm going to do a little, a little, a little start. So I was in China recently, and we were a few hours north of Beijing, where there is a four and a half thousand year old city, which has been discovered with an enormous pyramid in the middle of it. They actually thought it was an extension of the Great Wall of China. And when they started excavating it, they found out that it was 2000 years older than the Great Wall of China. It's one of those um, wonderful Chinese discoveries. They find things on their hands, which are just of a staggering scale and of staggering antiquity, which no one really suspects. Anyway, once they started excavating the walls of this city and the kind of the, the walls of the pyramid, they started finding amazing jade objects hidden in the walls. Secretly hidden. Yeah. And the archaeologists, I mean, they, they found about 15 or 20 of them. They're beautiful, about the size of a large iPhone and beautifully coloured, um, sort of this kind of odd translucent green colour, which you get with jade. And they'd been embedded in the walls all around the city. And archaeologists are slightly scratching their heads as to why they do it. It was also decorated with Oh my art. gosh, I've got them here. Yeah, can you see the city now? Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Out in the middle of nowhere. Absolutely. Surrounded by desert. Yeah, I mean, really, really in the middle of nowhere. Very windy, very, very hot. And the, the I know we've just done a podcast on eyes, but the, um, and I didn't mention it in that, which I'm kicking myself about, but this pyramid, which is enormous, which dominated the centre of this city, was decorated with eyes. Little pictures of eyes. Um, but in those were visible, right? But 
what was inside the walls were these extraordinary jade objects. And archaeologists are sort of scratching their heads about what they're there for. And they believe it's something to do with spiritual protection. Now, I'm going to come back to this later because I'm going to talk about the idea of secrets and archaeology. But I just wanted to share that one with you. Oh my you. gosh, this is incredible. Does that, does that count as a secret? This is, this is the something it's I'm a, going to a, be coming to. It's a hidden secret. It's a hidden treasure. So the people who had arrived at the city, they didn't, they wouldn't know that they were in there. So only the people who built the b- built the city knew that they were in there. Therefore, it counts as a secret. Yeah. Yes. But this I idea of, is. of what actually is a secret, I think, is fundamental to the whole idea of secrets. And we're going to come back to it later. Okay. Excellent. I'm sure you're going to tell me about some proper secrets now. No, I'm going to tell you about, about state secrets. Oh yes. Have a really interesting history, and in the early modern period, which is my area of expertise, there was a real tussle between the crown and and I, I think a sort of an emerging more belligerent parliament around state secrets. The the government of the day, which was the, the Crown and ministers, basically wanted to keep state matters secret, keep them to themselves. There were certain things that they just didn't want everyone learning about. So after the Restoration, so after the Civil War, and James Stuart, James II, comes back, there are a couple of quotes from him. No themes or subjects fit for vulgar persons or common meetings he considered. Um, As subjects, the role of the people in the early modern was to contain themselves within that modest and reverent regard of matters above their calling. So what there's this sort of, there's a sense that the state wants to be in charge of government policy Mm -hmm. and wants to control public opinion. But at the same time, you have these new print technologies, newspapers, that are that are you know that have a sort of feeding frenzy for wanting to know what is what is what is going on in the state and there's a there are a series of publications some of them that are suppressed and one of them I want to tell you about is something called the Kabbalah it's called mysteries of state and government in letters of illustrious persons and great ministers of state in the reigns of king henry the 8th queen elizabeth king james and king charles and this comes out and is published in the, the version I've got here is uh, 1691. Mm-hmm. And in it is contained all sorts of state secret letters from recent reigns. And it's the most extraordinary book of letters that are supposed to have been intercepted during the Civil War. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. In So you've got this sort of tension between the... Between the government and and the people, this rising public opinion. If we go to, say, Elizabeth I's reign, Parliament is becoming increasingly thirsty for being able to have freedom of speech around state matters. And one character in particular, Sir Peter Wentworth, who was MP for a town very close to us in Barnstable, in 1571, and he he had a number of other seats in in later parliaments. But he was one of those people that really he was a Puritan, so you know, devout religious man, and he championed freedom of speech. And there's a very famous speech that he stands up in Parliament and makes. And we know about this because MPs sitting there would have had a writing desk very similar to this one that we talked about earlier on, and would have scribbled down notes of what went on in Parliament. And I'll just read you a little extract of it. Amongst other, Mr. Speaker, two things do great hurt in this place, in other words, in Parliament, of the which I do mean to speak. The one is a rumour which runneth about the House, or the House of Parliament, and this it is. Take heed what you do. The Queen's Majesty liketh not such a matter. 
whosoever preferreth it, she will be offended with him. Or the contrary, her majesty liketh of such a matter, whosoever speaketh against it, she will be much offended with him. The other, sometimes a message is brought into the house, either of commanding or inhibiting very injurious to the freedom of speech and consultation, I would to God, Mr. Speaker, that these two were buried in hell. I mean, rumours and messages, for wicked they undoubtedly are. The reason is the devil was the first author of them from whom they proceedeth nothing but wickedness. Now, he is he's basically saying here that speech and policy in Parliament is being controlled by the state. If you challenge the monarchy or if you challenge the crown about their a particular policy, then you are going to be punished. And indeed, Wentworth was imprisoned for mm. this. So, state secrets. State secrets and freedom of speech. Yeah. The kind of access that people would have had throughout the ages. I love the way that that's linked with print media. Yes. Essentially, isn't it? And, yes. And how it suddenly becomes a problem when when there's there's a an easier way of sharing information. Yes. I mean, we're living. you can think about this across time. We're living in an age where in the West there is relatively free freedom of information, freedom of, 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 of expression, freedom of speech. You know, fake news, I think, in America is eroding that. I think across the, the Western world it's eroding that. There are, in other parts of the world, I think there is a much tighter control on what people can have access to. That Saudi Arabian journalist who was executed... Yeah. Well, it seems like he was bumped off recently. I just read last night his last article in the that, Washington that, Post. that was published in the Washington Post, yeah. where he talks about the, the 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 fact that you know there is there is basically one Arabic country where there is anything like freedom. There are three others, you know, that sort of get part near there, and the rest there is suppression. Mm. And I think that you know that it, it's a very different political system from the one that we're we're used to certainly within our country yeah yeah and the whole idea of state archives is interesting um, because i've spent a lot of my life working at the national archives yes in queue as have you yes and remember when we wrote our book we came across the issue of the archives relating to the mau mau rebellion in the 1950s yes, absolutely yes so this idea that that the, the state seeks to construct archives and they seek to, to hide or bury Particular documents. So what you have there is a whole series of documents that were related to empire and to atrocities conducted in the name of the British government in empire that were basically put in a warehouse somewhere and just hidden. Yeah, and they didn't want them to fall into the hands yes. of, the, the, of the new, the post-independence, yes. Yes. Uh, the post-independent governments. For the political capital that they could make for them. Yeah. Um, but we have this the thirty year rule as well, don't we? Which yes, which is that's a sort of standard rule uh, by which classified information can become declassified yes. after just thirty years. Actually, doesn't seem yes. very much. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem very know. much. And there are there are very good reasons for that. I mean, to protect protect people in public office, to protect people who could be whose lives could be threatened yeah. by some of the information that is there. And it and I suppose the ultimate. The ultimate reason for it is to protect the national interests as well. Yeah, and in that case, we had a group of Kenyans who who claimed to be tortured and then detained during the Mau Mau rebellion in the 1950s, and yeah. they they fought to win the right to sue the British government over revealing the information. Yeah, so more than more than eight thousand eight hundred files from thirty seven former colonies. Wow, God. there's a lot of secrets in there. 
aren't there? I'm just going to move on to something that is it is quite close to my heart because of, of all the TV stuff I do. And it's amazing how often TV is present TV history and TV archaeology is presented as something that reveals secrets. Hmm. Tony Robinson's Hidden Britain by Drone is is the latest one that has really caught my eye on on Channel 4. And the idea is he releases his drones. He calls them his drones. And they fly up in the air. And here we are. So Tony's flying cameras reveal the secrets of an immense stately home. And every episode has the word secret in it. And there is a sense that I I think one of the ways that, that TV commissioners believe that they can sell TV history and to get it across to the public more is to use the word secret. But that really raises the interesting question of what actually is a secret. I came across it when I was... Here you are. Have a look at these. Goodness me. What are these? Oh, bits of pot. Bits of pot. Can you hear them clank? There you are. Thank you. Are these authentic? Those are 15th century pieces <gasps> of Chinese pottery I picked up from a beach in Africa. Goodness me. It's like a little... What looks like a little bowl. Yeah. Pieces of a bowl or, or maybe a little plate. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, again, um, that was for a National Geographic show on the Maritime Silk Road, where I was travelling in the footsteps of Zheng He, the famous Chinese explorer in the early 15th century. And there is archaeological evidence that he made it to the east coast of Africa. And we traced a story that a fisherman had been finding pieces of Chinese pottery. And sure enough, he had been finding Chinese pottery. But is it a secret? It's it's fundamental to to history. So they they claimed it was a secret, but all of the locals knew it was there. So how how hidden does something have to be for it actually to be called a secret? Because and and also academics knew that yeah. there, there's enough proof there already in the published literature to prove that he went there. And so it it it, it was I discovered it in that I went there and I picked it up and I found it, but. A certain amount of people, a small percentage of people who were academics knew about it, but on the basis that a huge portion of people didn't, they called it a secret, which I think is wrong. Yeah, and it, it, there's rhetorical flourish in it. There's rhetorical flourish of the director who want, who's naming the series that wants this to be something that people haven't seen. You can see the same thing in the publishing industry, the secret life of the Tudors, and you suddenly think you're going to be able to sort yeah. of, you know, Ooh, yeah, you're going to be able to sort of you know, view the Tudors in a way that you haven't you haven't seen before. Yeah. Well, that happened with the Armada programme we both worked on on for BBC Two, where yeah. I think a researcher in the BBC said they'd found a... Some, some academic had found a big, a, a huge load of letters which mysteriously told us all, all great new secret facts about the Armada. But of course... All of all of academia who actually wrote about the Armada knew about it. Yep, it wasn't it wasn't a secret and it wasn't new. No. But it was taken And they weren't that interesting. And they weren't that interesting, <laughs> but it was taken like that and sold like that, effectively, yes. for them to make it like a five part series on the Armada. Yes. Interesting. So you historic people who read history, people who watch history, watch out, basically, because um you've got to be a bit careful about it, about their use of this tradition of um this tradition of secrets, though, goes back a long way. And I don't know whether I've spoken about it in the past, but I've, I've probably spoken about the Renaissance books of secrets, which I may have spoken about in the past. But these are amazing volumes. You find them in the late 15th through the 16th and into the 17th century. And they include all sorts of secret information and recipes from the world of medicine, household in- hints, alchemy, dyeing making perfume, oil, mm-hmm. incense, cosmetics. And I've got one of them here just to sort of give you a flavour of it. This is a book 
called A Book of Secrets, showing diverse ways to make and prepare all sorts of ink and colours as black and white, and it goes on to all sorts of other other ways. And it is produced by William Philip uh, and printed by Adam Islip, and it's dated 1596. And I'll just give you a sense of the kinds of things that you find in it. It's got all sorts of recipes for, for ink and ink for parchment. It's got recipes for different colours, as yellow to make green. We should have talked about it when we looked at our podcast on colours. It's got all sorts of medical recipes to do with mending bones, how grapes should be gathered and dressed to make wine, when you shall draw or rack wine and open the vessels, leafing through here. What else is there? All sorts of all sorts of things. How to make wine that is changed. There are all sorts of volumes like this. Uh, br- if you are interested in this kind of stuff, William Amon's Science and the Secrets of Nature, Books of Secrets in Medieval and Early Modern English Culture, published by Princeton in 1994, is a brilliant kind of cornucopia of these kinds of things. We came across it when we did nightmares um, or dreams in our book. Oh, we did, When yeah. we have um, the, uh, the Secrets of Master Alexis. That's him, yes. 1563, and he wrote a recipe to cause marvellous dreams where you take the blood of a lapwing or black plover and run your temples with it, and so go to bed and you shall see marvellous things in your sleep. Well, if you wanted to see wild beasts in your dream, it was recommended that you take the heart of an ape and lay it under your bed when you go to sleep. But these aren't secrets, they're recipes. But they're, it's but it's secret knowledge. Yes, no, it, it is secret knowledge. But but yes, but, but but it's the knowledge of some kind of magus. That's it. Yes, is that, is that what it is? So yes, yes, yes. So it's knowledge that someone has. It's not. It's not a discovery for the world suddenly, or maybe it is. So he it suddenly is. discovered yes. it. It's taking this sort of arcane knowledge and packaging it up and then selling it to people. But that idea of having it with books, though, it continues right up to 1923 with the cloud atlas. Yes, with the cloud atlas. Do yes, I remember I do. when we were writing about about clouds yes. and and how people used clouds and that 1923 edition which was the sort of the first one to describe different formats of clouds um, and sort of formations of clouds um, it advertised itself it's, um, it, it, it allows you to um, leads to a detailed knowledge of all the secrets of cloud building so they think it's to that, that use of secrets is to do with understanding the natural world so there are some that's, that's kind of it. fundamental yes. history, isn't it? Yes. So there are, there are yes. fundamental things that happen, w- yep. whether it's biology, physics, or chemistry, and that they they are secrets owned and contained by yes. God, yes. I suppose. Yes, um, so natural th- history, natural history. Yes. So religion's very much into this, and what 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 us humans are trying to do is to try and unpick the mysteries and the secrets. So it's actually it's all to do with religion, isn't it? All to do with religion. Huh. Probably all to do with the Reformation so. <laughs> and the um, Enlightenment. Yeah. Just um, one of the things I came across as well, which is linked to Tony Robinson and his drones and the secrets yes. of the world, um, is, is again, linked to do with technology and particularly drones and, and flying flying high. And it's to do with aerial photography. And we've just come out of a stinking hot summer. And I suppose for the first time in history, there are thousands of people maybe hundreds of thousands of people who have got the technology to take photographs from above yeah and for those of you who are trained archaeologists you'll know that aerial photography is one of the ways that we understand the past we find out about the past we discover new sites particularly and they found the most amazing 
archaeology and historical sites across England hmm. in the summer of 2018. and it, Exposing ag- the secrets of the landscape. Yeah, exposing the secrets of the landscape. Um, they're using drones to do it. But the, the history of aerial photography is amazing. I had no idea how cool it was. The earliest, phot- the earliest um, aerial photograph. Any idea? Oh, 1914? 1860. 1860. So oh, the pho- cameras had not been allowed around long enough and Someone took one of those ancient, huge 1860s cameras <laughs> and attached it to a balloon above Gosh, Boston. Um, me. But if you're interested in the history of aerial photography, which I now am, um, just have a look at it online. There's some wonderful stuff. The first aerial photograph itself, actually, was the, it, taken in 1858, but the, uh, the oldest surviving one is from 1860. But it's a way of exposing the secrets of the landscape that you're, you're walking on, but you don't know they're there unless you're... You don't have to be very high up. Mm. Um, you just got to be a, a bit up. So if you any of you got drones, just fly over a parched field for me and um, send us your <laughs> photograph because you'll find a, you you will you will find a Roman camp. I promise you, they're, they're literally <laughs> everywhere, or a Roman road, or some kind of Neolithic cursus monument, which is a, is just a strange long thing, and no one knows what they're there for. But they found loads of them. They've utterly transformed our understanding of British history and archaeology. Just a bit of heat and some drones. Brilliant. The history of secrets. Who knew? So while we're wandering around this history of secrets, we talked a little bit earlier on about family secrets. And this made me think about something that we talk about in our show, chimneys and disposing of things in chimneys to keep them secret. Yeah. And one of the very sad stories is of a skeleton of a newborn baby that was discovered in a chimney that was wrapped in a bloodied, bloodied rag. And archaeologists thought that this was to do with infanticide. So a mother, uh, presumably an unmarried mother, who felt such social stigma to having been having a, a child out of wedlock that instead of giving it to family and relations or going and living elsewhere, felt so uncomfortable that she felt that she had no other choice than to dispose of the body of her newborn child and put it in a chimney. Mm. So keeping that kind of thing secret she would have known it was there. I mean, I'm assuming if she carried stay, staying living in that house, that's a that's she, a big secret to carry with yeah, you. Yeah, enormous, enormous. Yeah. Well, um, gosh, we've we've roamed everywhere, haven't we? we? Have. As usual, I really enjoyed that Elizabethan parliaments, um, <laughs> the restoration, state secrets, Chinese my explorers, <laughs> special box. I love that box. Lovely, isn't it? If you've enjoyed it, please um, check out the rest of our podcasts. We've got something like ninety now, um, over ninety, over ninety, and we have our book. Uh, histories of the unexpected we've got a couple more books coming and it depends when you're listening to this but you might be able to catch us live we're on tour but that's it for now thank you so much for listening thank you bye Bye.